Hello there and welcome to May Fight Club. I'm your host, Manny Galarza. Today we're breaking down PFL Challenger Series week number one for 2023. There's gonna be four total fights in the card, only four, I know, but think of it this way. The PFL Challenger Series is a lot like the Dana White Contender Series for the UFC. With the eight total fighters in the card, they're all welterweights. Now only I believe two of them get a chance to move on. So at the end of the night is over, there'll be a panel of like judges I believe some of them will be celebrity judges too, and they'll vote on more or less who they think should be the, the contract winner, and I think only two guys get a contract. A little bit tough, it is what it is, but it's still an opportunity. So for this week, we got four total matches on the card. There'll be welterweights this weekend, next weekend will be just one weight class, they'll have a one, one weekend, it'll be all females. The event starts on Friday the 27th of January with a 9 p.m. Eastern start time. From betting perspective, we use DraftKings. That's our main partner here at MA Fight Club. FanDuel should offer it, Betway, Five Dimes. A lot of the major sports books should offer it. The only caveat is it's tough to find the numbers until maybe like 24 to 48 hours before the event kicks off. If you're waiting for our tip sheet and you're subscribed to our newsletter, that's the only delay. Our tip sheet will come out probably sometime late Thursday or maybe early even Friday, the day of the event, because we're waiting for those lines to come out. We can't give you our full list of bets until we know the lines, right? With that said, guys, let's jump into it with these four fights. Here we go. The card opens up with a welterweight bout at 170 pounds between Mustafa Rashad Neda from Saudi Arabia and Nick Ally from the United States. Give you the pick right away just to get it over with. I think that Mustafa gets a ground and pound finish most likely in round one, but wouldn't be surprised if it tails into round two. Would be shocked if the fight gets out of round two. Anyway, let's get to the breakdown here in these two fighters. So record-wise, we got Mustafa with a 7-3 overall record, 3-2 in his last five fights, compared to Nick Ally, who's 7-5 overall. Also three and two in his last five fights. So in terms of fighter experience, very similar. Allies from New Hampshire, American fighter, 32 years old, six foot in height. We have no reach number on him. He trades out of Team Link Hookset. As for Mustafa, not much information on him. Based in the Middle East, he trades out of a gym called MMA Jetta Club, and we have no height number on him. Though I would say he's probably, <clears throat> excuse me, a little bit shorter than Nick Ally. Ally is a little bit longer of a fighter. If you watch him on film, he's just more lanky. Uh, not quite as lanky as like Nate Diaz, but of that same ilk. And as for Mustafa, he's a little bit more husky, right? Just a little bit more thicker of a fighter, has a wrestling base. If you can imagine that, Nick is going to have the height and uh, reach advantages. Now, some more details on these two guys, or at least whatever I could find. Mustafa is a switch stance fighter. I'm not really sure which one he prefers more because he really does go back and forth, you know, with, with, you know, very, very often, put it this way. He's a wrestler, as we mentioned before has 11 total combat sports fights, 11 because of his uh, his amateur win. That's why he's got 10 total here as a pro, and then he does have an amateur victory. Let me double check that, actually. I'm making sure it's not an amateur victory. Maybe it's a, uh, yes, he one of those amateur. Okay, last few opponents. He fought Alex Fontes, 2019. That was his last opponent, 2019, TKO win. Prior fight, Ahmad Hoyek. We actually found that fight online. He won that fight by split decision, and then one more fight, Najim Khan, 2018 KO win. Why are we bringing it up? Well, first of all, it's been years. It's been actually just over three years since the last time that Mustafa Nada fought. I'm not sure why. He could have been training the last year or so, making big improvements. Maybe he you know, had a career change at some point. Uh, who knows? Um, if he's still based out of Saudi Arabia, maybe he went to the military for a while. Um Point is, we don't know why this guy was in the cage for three years, and that's going to be a bit of a red flag, which we'll talk more about. What's to like about Mustafa? Wrestling. If you know anything about these Middle Eastern fighters, and I would even kind of gravitate all the way up towards like Dagestan. You know, Dagestan, they've got Arab cultural roots up there. Uh, Muslim religion is popular. And so when you get to that Middle East, 
you know, that area of the world, those fighters are known for being amazing grapplers, wrestlers. That's sort of where they butter their bread. And so for Mustafa, he follows that same kind of path. He's a wrestler, grappler. Cardio we'll talk about in a second here. But anyway, wrestling's very good. He has a win in Brave CF and UAE Warriors. Both good promotions. He's 3-0 between those two promotions. That, to me, means quite a bit because if you're not fighting in, you know, the PFL or, you know, UFC or Bellator, uh, Ryzen, this would be like that next tier. This would be comparable to like LFA, I believe. That would be in this, you know, in this uh, arena. His stance, he does switch stances back and forth. That in itself would be a bit of an adjustment for uh, his opponent. I don't think most. Of, I don't think most of the fight stays on the feet anyway. Um, but it is unique in the way he switches stances. Now, what are my concerns for Mustafa? We've mentioned some of them along the way. The long layoff. Okay, he hasn't fought since December of 2019. So that's important to note. December, which we just had whatever a month or so ago. So it's just been over three years, just by a month or so. Uh, he's one dimensional. That is, I mean, goes without saying. If you've watched him on film, he will lean on his opponent, try to drag him to the ground on the feet. You know, it's. It's big looping punches, not a lot of technique, drops his head, looks very fatigued at times. Though when he gets tired and he tries to wrestle, he seems to have a little more success with that than when he's on his feet. On his feet, he looks like, you know, quite bad when he's tired. And we mentioned before the cardio. Um, he looked absolutely exhausted at the end of round two when he fought against Hoyek. And that was just two, that was two fights ago, granted about three years ago. But at the end of round two, he just looks so spent. Um, so I'm a little concerned about his cardio. If we get into round three of this fight, I'm going to use the term, all bets are off, even though obviously if you bet on it, <laughs> your bet is still on. My point is, if we get to round three, it's going to be very difficult to sort of shape a uh, prediction because he's got cardio issues, and so does Nick Ally. As for Nick Ally, born in 1990, 32 years old, training at a gym in New Hampshire called Team Link hook it, Hooks It. He has about the same amount of combat fights, and let me just double check here on him because for some reason I failed to put this in my notes. Nick Ally uh, did have some amateur bouts actually. So he fought one, two, three, four amateur bouts, went three and one. And so he does have a few more fights in total when you think about it. He's got 12 as a pro, and then he's got those few as an amateur. He fought Mark Gardner, 2021, round two TKO loss. That was his last fight. Prior fight, Solomon Renfro, 2021, round one KO loss. Prior fight, John Gotti the third. John Gotti the third. Who fights John Gotti the third? He did. Uh, 2020 decision win. By the way, if you don't know the reference, yeah, John Gotti back in the day, 80s, New York City. I was actually living then in New York, and uh, I remember that time. This guy would be on the front page of the papers every few days. Anyway, uh, and then he has a fighter that we have to mention by name because this guy always f seems to sliver his way into breakdown talk is Jay Ellis. He fought the notorious one, Jay Ellis, 2019, and he beat Jay Ellis by a round one submission win. And I really want to put an asterisk by that talk about that for a second that tipped me off to the rest of nick ally's record watch nick on film and you're going to see probably what i see he's a bit of a raw fighter lanky loose uh, makes plenty of mistakes even in fights where he's winning is uh, very open to get submitted on the ground because he is long <clears throat> and gets a little bit sloppy and i've seen him be in a top position <laughs> and then next second later he's getting finished um so uh, I think when you're getting wins in the round one against fighters like Jay Ellis, and you look at the rest of his resume, and you see some of those other finishes, we got to put that into you know an intelligent perspective. Now, what's to like about Nick Ally? Submissions. Five of his seven career wins are by submission, like triangle chokes, things in that variety. So he does have some submission, submission ability. Makes a little sense the long arms, you know, again the whole Nate Diaz physique. 
Amateur record went three and one. You like to see he had experience before going pro. <clears throat> Concerns I have for Nick Allen. Competition. He has been fighting guys that overall are not very high quality. And so even when you get a win, it just, it's not as quality. And ma- matter of fact, when he fought a real fight in CFFC, to that first, you'll bump up to a better promotion, he got finished. <laughs> he got finished in round one. Um, you know, so I have a lot of questions here about the wins he has and who those opponents are and the skill level of those opponents. He's also been inactive. He's been out of the octagon for over a year. So we've got a four and a, a four year and a few month layoff between these both fighters combined. Big red flag. A lot of variants now that's going to be embedded into the money line. And one more concern I have here for Nick Ally: durability. He's been finished within two rounds in all five of his career losses. And for those losses, he got knocked out in round one. And all five were by knockout. Clearly some durability. Now, go watch the film, though. <clears throat> Here's where the stats don't necessarily tell you the full picture. He's not getting knocked out like one punch, like, oh, you know, eyes closing. He's getting tired. He's on the ground. He's fatiguing. He's balling up. He's, in essence, throwing the white flag. And the referee's coming in to save him. Well, in this fight right here with Mustafa, that's right up Mustafa's alley. We see that same scenario happening here. Mustafa, early round one, halfway through round one, has the energy level, has the cardio, drags Nick to the ground, starts pounding on him, and eventually Nick starts making mistakes, starts turning his back, and Mustafa's going to keep pounding him to the point where we get to finish in round one on the ground. We get to round two. Now there's going to be concerns for cardio on both sides, but more for Nick Ally, who's going to be the one who's on the ground, right? Kind of struggling. So I think if Mustafa gets an early takedown in round two, continues the ground and pound effort, he gets that victory in round two by a ground and pound. Imagine the line, excuse me, opens up around minus 250-ish range, minus 225 to minus 275 in that range. Why would you bet on Mustafa? From a betting perspective, let's just give you some good old-fashioned advice on how you handle this fight. You pass. You just pass all together. If you absolutely had to bet on it, take the under two and a half, take the fight that's not of the distance. But will that be available? And will your book even offer this fight? I will suspect that this fight does not even make it to the books because even with DraftKings, who we tend to use as our main partner here, with DraftKings, they offer PFL matches, but at times they will not offer like a very, like two experienced fighters, high variance, big layoff like this. So don't be surprised if you see the other three fights in this card listed, but not this one. Um, so that's another reason, another reason why you don't even want to focus on betting on this fight. But I would say you're better off just watching it, you know, take some notes on who Mustafa is and how he fights and how he looks the same way Nick Ally. Um, but we're going to choose Mustafa to win the fight. Ground and pound, round one. That's your pick, guys. Good luck with this one. Let me know what you guys think in the comments section down below here if you're listening on YouTube. We welcome comments. If you have questions, Shoot the comment section. We will go ahead and respond. If you don't know about our Twitter handle, it's down below in our description. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. And if you're not subscribed to our newsletter, you are missing out. Full card breakdowns in a written format. And you also get our full tip sheet, which is sent to you via email. Get a notification completely free. We don't spam you. We don't give your email to anyone else. We send out about three or four notifications per week, which are just the breakdown and the full tip sheet for whatever card we're talking about. So for the upcoming week here, we're going to have PFL because there's no UFC this week. And then the following week, we'll have PFL, Bellator, and also UFC all covered. So subscribe to our newsletter. It's down below. And subscribe to our channel if you haven't done so already. Moving on to the next video. Here we go. (music) 
moving up the card, next fight's gonna be Quamel Otani versus Joseph Wittner. Mr. Wittner hails all the way from Slovakia, far away from home, and our other fighter is from Brazil. So we have two foreign fighters in this matchup. I'm gonna give you the pick real quickly at the top, just to get it out of the way. If you have to move forward, save you some time. We have Joseph Wittner to win by TKO in round three. That's our specific pick here. As for the details in these two fighters here, Mr. Otani is 12 and three overall. He's from Sao Paulo, Brazil, 30 years old, six foot in height, and he trains at a Familia Komodo. As for Joseph Wittner, the Slovakian fighter, 16 and two overall. Well, like, a little more experience, but still in the same experience range here, right? 4-1 his last five fights. He's 29 years old and 11 months, so about to be 30, about the same age as his opponent. He is also six foot and trains out of MMA Extreme Prezov. These guys have two different fighting styles. We're going to talk about it. The film is out there and available on them. We'll try to give you a few clips here throughout the video. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll see those clips that we show you. Um, Wittner's a wrestler. Quamel Otani is a bit of a striker, got some grappling skills as well. Gets a little bit sloppy at times. But before we even jump in here, we have a important detail about Quamel Otani that you may have heard of. And if you haven't, you're going to learn today. Quamel Otani has a MMA finish over the one and only Alex Pereira. Yes, UFC current well, UFC champion, Alex Pereira. They fought back in 2015. Otani, in essence, wears out Pereira. Okay, and that fight's available online. What we'll do is put that link down below in the video description for you if you want to watch that fight. But it's available on YouTube, and he beats, you know, beats Pereira. Pereira looked exhausted. That's the bottom line. He ran into energy, goes to the ground at some point, and uh, this guy, Otani, just kind of grinds him out and eventually finds a rear naked choke finish. But that's in his wheelhouse. He could always tell his grandkids, his nephews, and everyone else, I submitted, I beat um, Alex Pereira. UFC champion at one point, and so he always has that badge of honor. But with all that said, it's like you had the, the tree. The tree started with Israel Adesanya, okay? He became a big star, and then Alex Pereira jumps into the MMA game, and he kind of gets this immediate push because, like, oh, he beat Izzy. He beat Izzy. UFC just fast-tracks Alex Pereira because it's like this whole background. He beat Izzy way back in the day, and even if it maybe wouldn't transition to now, it was still some you know fodder for some drama. Well, now Alex Pereira is the current UFC champion, and here comes another branch of the tree, Quamel Altani. So for the PFL, they're smart here. They realize we've got a guy who's marketable in the idea. I mean, I'm sure the broadcast will talk about it, okay? If he were to get a few wins in the PFL and get his, you know, get himself going, there will be promos every single time of how he beat Pereira, yada, yada, yada. So here we go. All right, looking at these two fighters, we got the basic details out of the way. They're both six feet, very similar, and also similar in age. For Quamel Otani, born in 1992, he's an orthodox fighter, so he fights out of a right-handed stance. I would describe his style as a brawler and a mauler. He's not a Devashvili wrestling type, not that kind of committed wrestler, but he'll he'll hang on you and he'll try to grapple with you and he'll submit you. On the feet, not much technique, but he's got hands, has a hell of a chin. Remember, he was in there with Alex Pereira. He took some of Alex's best shots. Granted, almost eight years ago, but still, Pereira's always been nasty with his hands. You know, look what he did to Adesanya years ago. And so he's always capable of knocking someone out. In that fight, Quamel was able to show a good chin and took some of his best punches. He has 15 total fights between pro and amateur grappling and the whole deal. His last few opponents, he fought Jose Diaz, 2022, last year, had a round three submission win. Junior Marquez, 2021, decision win. And then John Carvalho, 2021, round one TKO win. So both guys are coming in here pretty hot. You know, you got 5-0 and for Otani on these last five fights, 4-1 for Joseph Whitner. Both guys are on winning streaks. They want to obviously keep those streaks going. All right, what's the like about Quamel Otani? Number one, experience, right? 
He's got 15 total pro fights in promotions like LFA and Jungle Fight. So he's a little more experienced than typical guys who are coming into PFL. Most of the time, PFL, the guys coming in here are like 3-0, 2-1, 5-0, that kind of thing. Both fighters here have a lot more experience than usual. He has finishing ability. Three of his last five fights, he's got to finish. He has finishes in 10 of his 12 career wins. That right there tells you, even if they may have been lower level, I mean, he did beat Alex Pereira, that's one of them, he's finished 10 of his 12 wins. And he also has a very good chin we mentioned before. He took some punches from Alex Pereira. And the concerns, what are the concerns we have here now for Quimelotani? Activity. He had only one fight in 2022. At this point in his career, we'd like to see him be a little more active, you know, two times a year at least, maybe three times to get more experience, move up the ladder. So I'm not really sure why, but only one fight last year. And then durability. He's been finished in two of his three defeats. Now, that's only two times being finished, but still, of the three times he lost, he got finished. In this fight here, I believe he pushes himself to the edge where either he gets a finish or he gets finished himself. As for Joseph Whitner, born 1993, from Slovakia, 29 years old, trains out of MMA Extreme Prezov. He's a wrestler, right-handed stance, and he has 19 total mixed martial arts fights between amateur and pro. His last few opponents, he fought Chris Atsley, 2022, round one KO win. Atsley is 9-6 overall. He fought Martin Kalous, 2022, decision win. Kalous is 8-9 overall. And then Junior Magal, 2022, all last year. He had a win over Magal by decision. And Magal is 17 and 9. So fighting, you know, okay competition. What's it like about Whitner? His finishing ability. He has finishes in three of his last five wins. He's fought in RFA and Octagon, which are both good promotions. Those are solid promotions. I would compare them to LFA. That's kind of the level where they're at. He has a four-fight win streak. He's very active. He fought three times last year. Now, what are our concerns for Whitner? His durability. He was knocked out in both of his losses. Again, those are only two losses, kind of like Quamel. But when he's losing, he tends to get finished, which is why I think, again, this fight probably does not see the scorecards. I think one of these two guys executes a finish of some kind. For Whitner, he's a bit one-dimensional. He does require a wrestling attack or some kind of wrestling success to win his fights, not just on the scorecards, but also to set up his eventual finish, which would be on the ground via ground and pound. There'll be eight total fighters, and I think only maybe two contracts giving out for all eight fighters. They know they have to have a win that's going to be meaningful and exciting. The way he fights, where he grinds people up on the ground, it doesn't necessarily catch the eyeballs. And so that'll be a concern for me. Does he abandon that fighting style? Um, will it be enough for him to actually get a contract? It'll be enough for a win, but will it be enough for a contract? Whitner has the tools to win the fight, okay? By TKO on the ground. My concern for Quote Melitani, he gets a little bit sloppy. We got a guy here in Whitner who loves to wrestle. Either he gets into the ground, ends up getting himself some success, and gets a finish here. That's the breakdown, guys. Good luck with this Next up, we've got Eric Alkeen versus Thad Gene. This might be the most exciting fight in the card, or at least the one I'm most looking forward to seeing. It's obviously a welterweight bout. They're all welterweight bouts. Thad Gene goes by the silver back. He's 4-0, undefeated, versus Eric Alkeen, who's also undefeated at 7-0. I'm going to give you guys the pick right away. Just get it out of the way. Thad Gene into the distance is our prediction. We think Thad Gene has the athleticism and the finishing ability to end the night here for Eric Alkeen. Though, with that said, Eric Alkeen, who's undefeated, is no slouch. All right, looking at the details of these two fighters, Alkeen is 7-0, as we mentioned before. He's out of West Palm Beach, Florida, 32 years old, 5'11 in height. We have no reach nerve on him. Mr. Gene is 4-0. He's out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Both guys are from Florida, and this fight's being held in Orlando, so should be at least some family and friends there for both guys. 24 years old for Thad Gene, so about 8 years younger than his opponent. 6'2 in height with a 77-inch reach. And so, yes, Thad is going to be the longer 
uh, fighter has specifically very long arms. I mean, 77-inch reach for a welterweight. You can imagine he'll be using a jab, which we'll talk a little bit about. So he's going to have the physical advantages in this matchup. As for more details on these two fighters, for Eric Alkeen, born in 1990, he is a southpaw. He is a boxer. That's his fighting style. Has 14 total fights between MMA, boxing, amateur, the whole deal. His last few opponents, he fought Hugh Pooley, 2022 decision win. Pooley is a decent fighter. Pooley has a win over Jason Witt and Grant Dawson. Yes, not in the UFC, but prior to their days in the UFC. So Pooley is a decent fighter. Jake Shields, he fought in 2021 in a grappling bout. The Jake Shields, 33-11-1 and 11 and 1 Jake Shields. What's to like here about Eric? His amateur record, he went 3-0. and he has experience in a few fights that he has faced good opponents in. So it's like he comes in with an amateur record of 3-0. Okay, whatever, no big deal. Comes in with a with a pro record of 7-0. Uh, Doesn't seem like it's very much. But he has actually fought some decent competition in the process. He's undefeated. You love that. I mean, it is what it is. I'm being redundant here. But the point is when you have an undefeated young prospect, that's sort of the tools and the method to usually how you see young prospects grow. He's very active. He frequently does grappling bouts. He'll go, he'll go like do one grappling bout, MMA bout, back and forth, and he's very active. He's a southpaw. He has a nice sidekick. He will seldom use a sidekick, but when he does, like a karate sidekick, when he uses it, it's actually pretty nice, pretty effective. Now, what are my concerns for him? Well, five of his seven pro fights have gone to decision. Okay, now it's not a big deal, but it's point is he maybe lacks finishing ability at this point. After seven pro fights, we've gotten a glimpse at, you know, the kind of fighter he is. And it seems like right now that he's lacking a little bit of finishing power, whether it's through punching or submission. So let's see that, that area of his game improve. His grappling. He has some skills on the ground, but he can be sloppy. Now that's indicative of just young fighters making mistakes. But when he does try to grapple and he'll initiate grappling, he does make mistakes that can get him into trouble with a guy who's a better grappler. And then cardio concerns. He appears very fatigued now, at times. Sometimes you can't tell. Are they fatigued? Are they getting a second win? Are they recovering? Is, is that just how the posture of that fighter is? It's a little too early to tell. But for him, I did see some, you know, I guess body language things from him that didn't look great at times in some of his recent fights. As for Thad Gene, born 1998, he's also an American fighter, fights out of both stances. He's a kickboxer, very young at 24 years old, and has 11 total fights. He fought Georgie or Jorge Medina, 2022 last year, got a decision win. And then he fought Sarak Shields, 2022 round two TKO win in LFA, where he was a minus 165 favorite. And that Shields fight was interesting. In that fight, it's going back and forth. I start to worry about his cardio. He starts to look pretty tired. They're on the ground. Referee breaks them up off the ground, stands them up, which ends up being a death sentence for his opponent, Shields, because like a few seconds later, Thad lands a crazy overhand left. I don't even think he saw land, but it connects, and then down goes Frazier. Down goes Shields. There's a TKO win. I had to rewind that a few times. I think that fight could have gone differently. If he doesn't land that haymaker, we go a little bit longer, he's getting tired, and so some concerns there. That's all I'm saying. But he's got finishing power, one-punch power. What's to like about that, Gene? Amateur experience. He went 4-2 as an amateur. I, I bring up amateur experience because with a limited record of only 4-0, he fought even more amateur about six of them. So it's important. That experience is you know almost doubling of what he's done as a professional. So it is important to know he had some amateur experience. Florida is home for both fighters. There will be the inherent excitement, maybe pressure or nerves of fighting in front of your girl or some family and friends. So they both are going to have that inherent uh, extra pressure on them, which should help them, right? Should fuel them. He's very athletic. That's the one thing you notice right away with that gene. He's got that uh, gene, okay? He's the kind of guy where he can move quickly, coming out of range. He's fast. He's explosive. Of course, that could contribute to cardio concerns later on because his physique is, he's not super buff, but he's, he's, he's strength. He got some strength. You know what I'm saying? He, he's pretty big. 
He uses both stances. You like that. It has a very long jab, 77-inch reach. And then he also like will turn his body and really reach out and touch someone with that jab. He sets that up very well. Doesn't really work behind it too hard with his right hand or his left hand if he's switching stances. But that left hand jab, it looks like he's like go-go gadget arms when he reaches out and touches somebody with that. And he will have a significant advantage of reach in this fight. His finishing ability, he has finished three of his last four fights, so he's got some finishing ability. He's been finishing people recently. What are my concerns for that, Gene? Well, number one, we talked about the endurance or cardio thing. It's hard to put your finger on it when you have such limited film and you're seeing him win a fight, per se. So it's like, oh, well, he knocked the guy out. You got to just peel back the layers of the onion. You know, look between the sentences, as they say. Read between the lines. And you pull back more of what kind of fighter he is. He's, he's a very athletic guy. You can see how his build, his physique, his fighting style can lend to him getting very tired. That's a big concern for me whenever I'm evaluating any fighter, especially from a betting perspective. Do you want to bet on fighters who have a documented issue with endurance challenges? And so for him, we see that, and we, then we also see the muscular physique. So that's my biggest concerns with him are you know, his competition level, who he's been facing. It's been okay, maybe not even as good as his opponent in this, in this matchup. And then will he fatigue on us? All that said, when you break it down, you look at both guys on film, you compare them side by side, you can see why this guy, Gene, has a lot of potential. Matter of fact, with the right win in this matchup, he could be one of the guys who gets a contract um, this evening because he's got the tools, man. He's physical, looks good. I think he's going to open up in the range of like somewhere around minus 150 to minus 175. The lines are not available at the time of this, of this recording of this video. But he opens up in that range, and if he does, you play him. Um, now he opens up above minus 200. I think, ah, you know, that's when we're starting to push back a little bit. Two to one favorite might be too much, but he should be the favorite here. I think he's a more athletic guy. I think he gets the job done. And I just want to say one more thing. If you like Eric Alkeen to win, if you think he's, you know, got his, he's got a way to win the fight. I don't think you're crazy. Eric Alkeen's pretty good. He's very tough. He's a bit raw, has a very nice jab, you know, so there's a lot of things to like about him as well. I don't want to just go ahead and say that he's, you know, doesn't have any ability. Uh, we went over the fact that he's undefeated, 7-0. He's fought some competition. So if you like Eric Alkeen, I get it. But our choice here is going to be Thad Gene to win the fight into the distance, most likely within the first two rounds. That's our pick, guys. Let's move on. Itzo Babalatze versus Lucas Barbosa. Now, Mr. Barbosa, who goes by the Hulk, has very little mixed martial arts experience, right? Two and one, but has a ton of grappling experience, which we're going to talk about. We'll give you our pick here to get out of the way for those who need to move forward. We like Lucas Barbosa to win the fight by submission. That is our prediction. Now, back to the two fighters here. Barbosa's two and one overall. He hails from Brazil, but now is based out of San Diego, California. 30 years old, 11 months, about to be 31. He's five foot ten in height, and he's out of Atos Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. As for Itzo Babalatze, he's 2-0 overall, 3-2 in his last five fights. Well, that's not possible. It says 3-2 in his last five fights, but he's only fought two. He's 2-0. My bad. He's fighting now out of New York, but he's based initially out of Georgia. So he's of Georgian descent, 29 years old, 6 foot in height with a 73-inch reach. So about the same age for both guys, a slight height advantage here for Itzo Babalatze. And on film, we have, a little, we have a little film of Itzo recently in mixed martial arts. For Lucas Barboza, we have no MMA film to go off. I'm going to put that out there right now. So whatever information we're giving you is based upon stats, things that we've read, whatever we can divulge from what we can you know, gather from Lucas, but we have no film on him. And for Itzo, the film is very limited. Okay, let's talk here about Lucas first. From Brazil, 30 years old, has 65 total mixed martial arts combat sports fights. 65, that's 62 in grappling and three in mixed martial arts. 
Now, the three fights that he fought in MMA were over 10 years ago against fighters that you can't even find their profiles on Tapology. So big red flag there. Did he even fight those fights? Are those guys legit fighters at all? Why did he go 3-0 and in mixed martial Or why did he go 2-1 in mixed martial arts and then transition to grappling? Was that because he wanted to grapple? Didn't want to get hit in the head? Why now transition from grappling back to MMA? I think you know the answer to that one because he wants to make more money, of course, right? So just some question marks there and a guy who has not been punched in the face, I guess, in a mixed martial arts bout in over 10 years. What's to like about Lucas? The grappling. He's got elite level grappling. He's been on the mat with guys like Gilbert Burns. So he's been doing it at the highest level. He's obviously got submission skills. He will be looking for submission at some point in this fight. The other thing to like about him is that he's still very young. At only 30 years old, he still has time to transition to mixed martial arts in the next few years, improve some of his striking, get better, make a run at some things here, maybe make a run in the PFL. If his, if his grappling's elite, 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 like someone like Paul Craig, and he just gets a little better at striking, he can have some success in the octagon. Now, what are my concerns for Lucas? Well, MMA experience. We kind of talked about it. Hasn't fought a fight in mixed martial arts in over 10 years. Transitioning from grappling to mixed martial arts, we've seen it before, or even wrestling to mixed martial arts is not always an easy transition. How many times have we seen a guy who's an elite wrestler, right, or elite grappler, walk into the cage, get punched once or twice, and then that's it, Aladdin. So I wouldn't put it past Itzo to, to put a barrage of punches on Lucas. Next thing, Lucas is like, I'm not used to this shit, and I'm done. Uh, motivation. That is a concern for me for Lucas. He has this extensive grappling career. Why move to mixed martial arts? And if it's just money as the main focus, nothing wrong with that. But just a little concerning that he's got a background in grappling. Now, making this change at this point in his career, I'm just I'm wondering where he's at in his career, wondering where he's at mentally, and if it's the right move for him. I'm hoping it is the right move for him, right? I'm predicting he's going to win the fight. As for the Georgian fighter, Ito, born in 1993, 29 years old, his fighting style, um... He's just trying to punch the hell out of you and beat you up. That's his fighting style. He's a bit of a a thug. He's got a very good build, you know. So even though he's Georgian, he's got light skin, you know, whatever, but he's he's kind of ripped. He's got a lot of hair in his chest, but he's still he's you can see this guy's ripped. He's got a a similar build. He's a smaller guy, but he's got a similar build to uh, Roman Delitza, right? He's got that kind of jack big chest and uh yeah, he's just a strong guy, kind of intimidating. His last few opponents, he fought Mahmoud Sebi Last year, 2021, had a round one KO win. That was in the PFL PFL playoffs. Now, not in the playoffs, but during one of the playoff cards. He got a shot to come out and showcase his ability and then beats the hell out of Sebi. Now, Sebi, who's a decent fighter, who's got like wins in some other promotions, is not just a pushover, but he just wore Sebi out in round one. And eventually, Sebi just couldn't take any more, took a few hard punches. And you saw the power there of Itzo. But I think he was a little tired in that fight, Itzo. And I, I just, I'm a little concerned about what he looks like in round two or round three because he does fight kind of like a little bit of an ogre, right? His prior fight, Jorge Molina, that was also last year, had a decision win. And that was in CFFC. So for Itzo Bobolatze, the one thing we do like about him is that he's gone ahead and won first two fights in two good promotions. So you do like that. He's active. He's got three, but he had three bouts last year, two in mixed martial arts and one in grappling. The win in the PFL already has a PFL win. That in itself is, you know, we know he's PFL. Well, I don't know if he's PFL material, but we know that he's making his way towards being PFL material, right? Now, my concerns for, for Babalatze, competition level. He's faced some very limited competition thus far. Even though he's been in the CFFC and even though he fought last year against Sebi, you know, competition has been hard to wage or hard to gauge, right? And then experience level. He has limited fight experience in general between professional and amateur. Itzo doesn't have much experience. He is 29 years old. And so if you're comparing experience level, Lucas has a lot more combat experience for all the grappling matches. Not not mixed martial arts experience, but just simply competing, whatever, making weight, going to tournaments, the whole deal, being in the gym. He has more of that than Itzo does. Now, 
last few notes in this fight. I am cautious about wanting to bet in a fight where we have literally such little experience. I don't know what the line's gonna look like, but I imagine the line opens up with Itzo as the favorite, somewhere in like the minus 175 to minus 200 range because he has the win last year in the PFL. He has more recent experience. Correction, he opens up around minus 300 actually. I was reading the wrong notes there. He's gonna be in that range because of the PFL win, because of the excitement of how he won that PFL fight, and because the Brazilian coming in here has no MMA experience over the last 10 years. I get it, I, I, I expect the line to be there. But do you want to parlay Itzo, who all we had was one round, okay, about four and a half minutes of work against Sebi, who Sebi was okay early on, has a good resume, but was so gassed. And so Itzo kind of got handed a layup there in that fight, did the job, you know, did the damn thing, got the win. But if he's opening at minus 300 range, do you want to parlay that? I think it's dangerous. Okay, so the play here for me is going to be on the Brazilian by submission. That prop won't be available but it'll be a straight bet on the Brazilian on the money line, and especially if he's going to be in that, you know, plus 225, plus 250 range. I mean, heck, I hope they open Ito at like minus 500. You know those guys who just have those submission abilities and that's the only thing? They're one-dimensional. They're still dangerous as hell, okay? So for a guy who's got 62 grappling bouts and has grappled with guys like, you know, Gilbert Burns, I'm going to give him, you know, just a flash in the pan opportunity to win this fight. I will bet in the fight. Those betting tips will be available when we release our bet tips about 24 hours before the event because unfortunately... PFL lines are not usually available on DraftKings or any of the books until like about 24 hours before the damn fight kicks off. So with that said, you have to wait for our, our tip, but we are going to look to bet here on Barbosa, and I think he wins the fight by submission. That's the breakdown, guys. Going to give you a quick summary of our picks for PFL number one, Challenger Series. Main event, we've got Lucas Barbosa to win by submission. Co-main event, Thad Gene to win by a TKO within the first two rounds. Joseph Whitner to win the fight by TKO within the first two rounds over Komel Otani. And then Mustafa Neta, the Saudi Arabian fighter who hasn't fought in over three years. We like him to win the fight within the first two rounds also by a TKO. That's your full list of picks who we like to win for PFL number one. Thank you for joining us. If you haven't done so already, you know what to do. Like, subscribe, and also take a look at our newsletter. That link's down below in our description here. You'll see that newsletter link for our Substack newsletter. It's free. We give out picks every week there. We also give out full card breakdowns. We don't spam you. You'll get about two, three email notifications per week with the newsletter that's coming out. Take advantage of it. Follow us on Twitter. That link's down below. Follow us on the Instagram. Follow us on TikTok. Follow us however you can follow us. The best way you can support this channel and allow us to make more content for you is by supporting us on the socials, liking, subscribing, and last but not least, catch our Sunday night show. It's called Midnight MMA. It airs at midnight on Sunday night. I want to make sure I clarify that. That means 11.59 p.m. on Sunday night, about to be 12 o'clock a.m. midnight for Monday morning. The show airs at midnight, goes to about 1.30, 1.45 in the morning. First episode was last week. You can catch that recorded episode on our channel. But join us this weekend on Sunday. We'll have a few special guests. We'll be recapping the past week of mixed martial arts, top stories, talking about uh, the fallout with Ningano in the UFC, the wrapping up of UFC 283, looking ahead to next week. Next week's a break from the UFC, but we have the PFL. So we can go all those different things on Sunday night in our show called Midnight MMA. Please join us on Sundays. Thanks for joining us for this breakdown here and have a wonderful, wonderful day. Peace.